Thank you, opening team, for the good uh, music and thoughts there this morning. As has already been announced, we're continuing in our character study, and uh, Phil asked us a long time ago what characters we might choose. I unbiasedly picked this one, <laughs> and I don't know, uh, you know, and then realized what I'd gotten myself into, but anyway. Let's just begin in a, uh, another, let's start and, uh, with a word of prayer before we begin this message. Father, thanks for the time together and thank you that we can learn from the people that experienced you in various ways. We know that they had profound experiences of our Lord and Savior, of you, and, uh, and learned much. And we have their stories written down for us and we're thankful that we can look at them and uh, see what you taught them and what we can learn from them and how you are teaching us through that. We pray that your word would minister to our lives this morning and help us to understand more of what you would have us to be, how we should live and how we should relate to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So think back. Um, maybe some of you it's a long way back and others not so far. But who, who, which person had the most influence in bringing you to, un, to want to unfollow the Lord Jesus Christ or to even consider following the Lord Jesus Christ if you haven't gotten that far yet? But which person in your life was the most influential in, in, that, uh, in that journey or in that time? And if you're like me, you probably have some problems thinking about a person. You know, was it my parents? Or was it a friend? Uh, was it some book you read? Uh, was it a speaker that you went to hear? Or was it a combination of all those things? And that's often, I think, what it is. Maybe there isn't one standout. Maybe there is. So, going on from there, who do you today look for, look to, to help you the most with your ongoing journey with Jesus, wherever you are on that journey? Or to put it another way, maybe, who would you miss the most if they weren't any longer here or with you? And that's an interesting thing to think about too. You know, there's lots of friends, spouse, people that you know. Um, you know, when I look around the room here, I, it, you're all important in our journey with with uh, the Lord. And each of you has a role in my life and hopefully all together we have a role in each other's life and we would miss each and every one of you if you weren't here. And uh, we welcome new people to come to help us in that journey and that interrelatedness. But I'm just sort of thinking that uh, we can't often pick out one person and, and really the spotlight doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of the importance and value of a person. So a person not, not, is not necessarily in the spotlight all the time, and yet they're very, very valuable in our interactions, in our journeys with Christ. So the spotlight isn't a real measure of value. And there are many characters that we come across in the scriptures who are really not in the spotlight, and yet they are extremely important people for us to have a part as a part of our life and how we relate to each other and to the Lord. 
And I was thinking about that and thinking about Luke and thinking that he's, he's pretty much a background character. Um, we don't really have any recorded stories of Luke. And what I mean is that we don't have, a, you know, and Paul came up to Luke and told him to, you know, follow him and, uh, and go over to Philippi and tell them. You know, we don't have anything like that. All we have are three verses in Paul's letters that mention Luke. And that's all we have in the scriptures. So there's no stories like Thomas, you know, you know, bowing down before the Lord, my Lord and my God, you know. Or we heard about Nicodemus. We don't have a story about Luke meeting the Lord like Nicodemus. We don't even have a story like the woman at the well who doesn't have a name, but who has a story to tell uh, there. But Luke hasn't got any of those stories. But I think even though he remains in the background, I think we can learn a lot from him. So, Luke. The first recorded record of Luke in the Bible is found in Colossians chapter 4, which we just finished uh, reading. Uh, Dr. Luke sends his greetings and so does Demas. That's the first verse. Doesn't Dear Dr. Luke... That tells us something about him, though. We find out that Paul really thought highly of them. He said, dear or friend or beloved in some translations. And doctor, physician, sends his greetings and so does Demas. So Luke was a companion of Paul. He was with him at this time when Paul was writing Colossians. We believe Paul was in jail. Luke was ministering with Paul at that time. He... Uh, was a physician, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, he's the only named physician in the Bible, unless you count Jesus, the great physician, but that's uh, the only one of us that's in there. I guess there's not too many doctors in the Bible. It's <laughs> something about us. And so we know that. Now, we, we hear, hear about him again when Paul's writing to Philemon. Philemon, probably around the same time, because he's still in jail, Paul. Paphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-worker. And there we, we see Paul saying that Luke is his co-worker, someone who's working alongside him. Um, we don't really know what Luke uh, was doing with Paul at that time. Maybe he was ministering to Paul's physical needs as his physician, or maybe he was doing some of the other work. And then the last verses that we find Luke mentioned is in 2 Timothy 4. And many believe that Paul has been released and then is back in jail and is really facing the end of his life as he's uh, likely going to be executed not long after he writes this letter to 2 Timothy. So Paul's in a pretty uh, dire situation here. He says, Demas has, or Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And that is interesting too. And we'll talk about that, uh, maybe unwrap that a bit at the end. But So a couple of things that I think we learned from Luke. Luke, one, was he was a faithful co-worker and companion of Paul who happened to be a doctor. And... Uh, 
We don't know uh, exactly what he was doing on the team. Maybe he was the mission team doctor, um, but we know that he was valued as a co-worker. And he was faithful and persevered in that work. But we know something probably from history, and although we don't have scriptural backing for this, we have a lot of tradition, is that Paul or that Luke was a himself a writer, and that he probably, most likely, very much, probably definitely, <laughs> as close as we can say, no one else has come up with a better name to give the third gospel and the book of Acts, other than the author being Luke, uh, this bivocational physician author and missionary. So. What can we learn about him from that role? So if we think of Luke as the writer of the third gospel that bears his name and the book of Acts, we get a lot more sort of thoughts about what he might be like. Well, he was bivocational, so he was a physician. Uh, don't I wish I knew more about what Dr. Luke's uh, practice was like. I mean, it would be fascinating for me to know how he practiced medicine. Uh, We don't have any uh, information about that. I put Hippocrates up there because about three or four hundred years before Luke, uh, this uh, physician became what we call the father of medicine. And he sort of revolutionized the way people think about diseases. He actually thought that they had a cause, not not just the anger of the gods, but there was something else going on. He took histories from patients. He he saw patients as people. He wanted to make sure that they were front and center. And so uh, we famously celebrate him with our Hippocratic Oath, which we still uh, recite, at least I did when I graduated from medical school. So the idea that the patient comes first and that we are responsible to do what's best for the patient was this idea of hypocrisy. I like to think that Luke probably followed that tradition and the teachings of Hippocrates, uh, uh, and uh, put people first. And I think that sort of tends to go along well with this faithful co-worker, companion of Paul who persevered to the end. We know that the physicians of the time were practicing some treatments. They had some medicines that they had found that worked, and uh, they were able to prescribe those. They, they diagnosed, uh, they uh, set fractures, uh, uh, they even did some surgery. I don't think I'd want to be their patients, but anyway, they, they had uh, that sort of going on. And, and in about 100 years after Luke, there was another famous physician called Galen who uh, became quite well known in his, uh, uh, his role in medicine. So it's somewhere in between those Hippocrates and Galen, Luke learns to practice medicine. And I don't know much about him in terms of whether he had an office, uh, whether he had a, just a traveling show, or what did he, how did he meet up with Paul, and why did he change from you know, this physician, uh, which is probably his career, to a traveling companion of Paul who maybe practiced some medicine along the way. Uh, maybe he was the first missionary doctor, I guess you could say. But uh, whether he continued to do that or whether he, he devoted himself to something else, we don't really know, but it's interesting to think how he could have ministered to people even as, as he traveled with Paul and, uh, and ministered to the people spiritually. So his other vocation was an author. 
as an author. Um, he's believed to be the, the writer of the third gospel and the book of Acts. Now, we don't, as I say, have his name attached to those, but very early Christian writers referred to him as the author of those books. So we hear of him being spoken of as the writer of those books, probably about the year 150 to 200, which is sort of 100 years later after he wrote the book. So it seems like a long time, but that's really quite compressed compared to the distance of time that's gone by. And some of the early copies of the uh, that we have of the scriptures name Lucas the author. And really, although people have disputed that, they've never been able to find any other credible name to attach to those books. We believe that the book of Luke, third gospel, and Acts are written by the same writer because both of these books are introduced by a, a, a blurb about who they're written to, Theophilus. And the writer had some pretty... Uh, uh, important information to communicate to this person, Theophilus. And, and we believe that Luke was that careful historian who recorded the events in order to show with some degree of certainty that these things happened. Vicky mentioned the LUMO project, uh, and this is a video clip of the uh, first part of the book of Luke, and just to give you a flavor for that. So that's the first few verses of the book of Luke and you can see that the author is saying that he's carefully recorded what he's learned from eyewitness accounts and from other accounts uh, and put them all into uh, a book form. You know, he's kind of uh, the early apologist in that sense and uh, you might say he's a ancient Lee Strobel in a, in a way, you know, like the the case for Christ. He's put it all down there so that people can read about it. And and he had, in that sense, the same sort of investigative mind uh, that the journalist might have. One that would research the stories, interview the witnesses if possible, collect them all together and write them down in a very orderly way. Interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, we come across some sections of the book where Suddenly it goes from, and Paul and they, to we. We journeyed and we went to Philippi and we went to Jerusalem and we got on the ship 
And those sections in the book of Acts, it seems pretty much intuitively that, that the author of that book was actually traveling with Paul at those times. So those we sections in the book of Acts, Acts 16, Acts 20 and 21, and Acts 27 to the end, are sections where the author becomes in the first person plural. And, uh, and we think that fits well with Luke's story because he's traveling with Paul around that time. And uh, so we, we see that he's in that, in that boat with him, <laughs> literally. So we get a bit of a, a glimpse of Luke's experiences when we, when we read the book of Acts. It's likely that Luke was a Gentile believer because in Colossians 4, I didn't read the earlier verses, but Paul mentions three Jewish co-workers and then he lists Luke and another after him as, outside of that list. So it would seem that Luke is Gentile, in, in which case he's the only Gentile writer in the New Testament, which is also an interesting tidbit. And who do you think wrote the most words in the New Testament? <laughs> you know, Paul, John? Nope, it was Luke. And Luke wrote, if you count the words, and I haven't done that, but if you are studious and you want to count the Greek words, Paul wrote 27% of them of the New Testament. Uh, sorry, Luke wrote 27% of them. Paul only wrote 23% of them. So there you go. And John, about 20%. So Luke is the most prolific writer of the New Testament, being a Gentile and uh, sort of a late arrival in the churches. He wasn't the eyewitness, but he was the careful investigative reporter. I kind of like that role, uh, you know, that keen mind thing that, that, that God gave him to, so that he could become a physician. He also used to, to put these words down so that we could all benefit from them. So, you know, in a sense, Luke was a bivocational type of person. He had this career. He had this role in the church. And it's sort of similar to all the rest of us, I think, in that we have our roles in our community that what what we do and uh, you know what we're known for, but we also have a role in the church and in the community to be God's people and to build His kingdom. So we all wear a couple of different hats, and I think that God uses us in whatever hats we wear. So whether you're teacher, or builder, homemaker, student, parent, janitor, lawyer, engineer, nurse, shopkeeper, you know the list goes on and on. Those are all things that we do, but we're all members of the body of Christ and we all have a role to play. None of us are going to be the writers of scripture, but we all have a role to play in, in encouraging one another and building others up. So God wants us all to build his church and to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be faithful and persevere as Luke did with Paul. I, I just uh, was listening to this gentleman's testimony the other day and uh, thought of him as a bivocational Christian. This is um, Francis Collins. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Francis Collins. He's a very articulate man, also a doctor. <laughs> That's why. And he, he's, a, he's a geneticist and medical doctor and a very keen researcher. And he is the director of the National Institutes of Health in the United States. I don't know if that means much to you or not, but that's the body that's involved in medical research in the United States and granting monies to that. I was astounded to learn that they grant or have in their budget 35 so, or so billion, billion dollars 
to give to people's research every year. That, that man there is the director of that vast amounts of money. The New Republic uh, magazine once listed Collins as the, one of the most powerful but least famous people in Washington. And, uh, and so we don't hear much about him, but he was appointed by the President Obama. This is the, how the national director gets his job. The, the President of the United States picks somebody and says, you be that person. And the President picked Francis Collins. Now, whenever a new President comes, like when Donald Trump's elected, usually these sort of people you know, disappear and new people are put in. Francis Collins is about the only director of the NIH who's ever been reappointed by the subsequent president, which I think speaks very highly of, of this guy and uh, of his personality. But what I was listening to the other day was his testimony as he was journeyed from atheism to Christianity. So when he was a young stir, he didn't believe in anything spiritual, really. He was atheistic. He decided, uh, he was a researcher, but then he decided to go to medical school. And he was in medical school, still atheistic, um, and um, got towards his third year of medical school. And he said that he found out that he had to start to look after very sick people. Some of these sick people were actually not going to live very much longer. And that kind of impressed him. He said, well, some of these people are facing this pretty calmly. I don't, he didn't think he would be able to be that comp if he were in their situation. One elderly lady, uh, as he was um, doing his work with her, laid it out for him. She presented her faith in quite simple terms and told him this is why she could face death and she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And then, then she asked him very matter-of-factly and sincerely, so doctor, what do you believe? And that really bothered Francis Collins because he didn't know what he believed. And he kind of got red in the face and muttered and then went out. And he sort of launched him on. So he said, well, I'm a researcher. And I said, I sort of I think I'm a scientist. I believe what the facts tell me. So I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to research it. So he started reading about religious, uh, various religions and all that sort of thing. He got very confused, he said. So he went to his neighbor who was a... Uh, um, pastor or minister at a church and said, listen, can you help me? I'm kind of lost and confused here. And so the, this minister listened to his confusion and his questions and, and he said, well, you know what? You know, you're, you're on a journey. You're looking for the answers. And I found this book to be very helpful. Um, and he gave him a copy of Lewis's Mere Christianity. And from the first chapter on, Francis Collins says that he finally figured out something that he had been missing all along. And so eventually, after reading and more study, he decided that God indeed does exist and that Jesus Christ is his revelation to us. And he put his faith in Christ. And as he was appointed to the National Institute of Health as that director, um, he, some people opposed this because of his faith in Jesus. But... Um, he was able to convince them that he would do this job well, and he has done an excellent job. I also would like to say that <clears throat> Francis Collin is a very accomplished researcher. He uh, discovered, among other things, the, the genetic problems that with cystic fibrosis. He was the leader of the team that 
uncoded the human DNA, so the, the Human Genome Project, he was the leader for that laboratory. And so he's been on the cutting edge of research, and he continues to be that, uh, that way. Cutting edge, eh? Ah, uh, yes. But he's both a communicator of the gospel, when you listen to his testimony, it's very clear, and a, and a leading scientist physician. So he has the bivocational, and he's very well thought of. Now, he's in the spotlight. Many of us will never be in that kind of spotlight, but just to say that there's an example of how people uh, to live. So, the next thing we learn from Luke is about his faithful co-worker uh, role. And Paul calls him his dear friend, um, he seems to have gone through some of Paul's most difficult experiences. If you look at the we sections in the book of Acts, you'll see that he arrives in time to go to Philippi just to have Paul beaten and thrown into jail. So standing watching that happen. The next thing he's in the we sections, he's on the way back to Jerusalem to see Paul being arrested and thrown into jail. You know, so this is kind of a repetitive story. Now, Paul spends two years in Jerusalem in jail and in Caesarea in, the, in, in Palestine and then is transferred to Rome to face trial by Caesar. And it's interesting that as Luke 27 starts out, it starts a we section. We got on the boat and we went to this port and then we went to that port and then there wasn't enough uh, good place to harbor for the winter so we decided, with, we with Paul went on, but then we got caught in this storm and we faced a terrible storm that we almost died, two weeks without seeing the sun, two weeks without eating. Nobody wanted to eat. Everybody was sure they were going to die. Paul stands up and says, you know, I, I've been ministered to it by an angel, and the, the Lord I serve says that we're all going to live if we you know, all stick together. And we all ended up in the water, and we swam to shore, and we all survived. You know, like the, so Luke, seems to have been in that boat and go through that terrible experience of almost losing their life in a shipwreck. And then it says, we spent three wonderful months on the island of Malta. Uh, so a Mediterranean vacation after all, you know, a cruise. And I hope anybody's cruises doesn't end that way. But, but uh, so it, it seems like Luke went through a lot to, to be with Paul. And... Um, I don't know their relationship, but we don't really told except Paul says he's a dear friend and, he, and it's obvious that he's sticking to Paul through thick and thin. And Luke wasn't obviously looking for money. He wasn't furthering his career by doing this, but he was a, a support to Paul behind the scenes, quietly working for the kingdom and no fanfare or spotlight really was ever directed to him. And yet sometime through all that, he managed to write all these stories down. And maybe with that two years when Paul was in prison in Caesarea, Luke was busy writing out the gospel or something like that. And maybe uh, after Paul gets to Rome, Luke's there with him and everybody else has left, but Luke is still scratching away writing down the story. And, and it's just sort of the idea of a faithful servant faithful co-worker who perseveres. So faithful service doesn't always result in fame or fortune, but we are all called to serve in this way. And our service, whatever it is, is important for the kingdom. 
Sunday school teachers, people who help with the grounds, people who speak, people who look after various needs of others. They're all really important people and everyone has a role to play. So how many have ever heard of Edward Kimball? No, not a very big name in the life of the church. Edward Kimball was D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher. You know, like, there's a guy that led D.L. Moody to the Lord, and then Moody went on to be a world-famous evangelist, winning many for the Lord. But Edward Kimball was faithfully doing his role. Henrietta Mears, that name bring up, yeah, some people have heard of Henrietta Mears. She was in California, she had a Sunday school that, in charge of a Sunday school that grew from like 400 to 4,000 while she was in charge. And through her ministries, other ministries, she impacted many people, including maybe heard the name Bill Bright, and maybe you've heard the name Billy Graham. Both of these guys were impacted for the Lord by Henrietta Mears' ministry. So these are just some examples of people who have been faithful servants. I'd like to give you one more example of a faithful servant. And uh, we were fortunate to have Patrick and uh, Karen Carter here for us, and we got a chance to visit with them. They have this uh, co-worker in the Philippines, Mech, or I'm going to mess up her name, Carmina Villanueva. She, I don't know why they call her Mech, but I'm going to call her Mech. She is uh, uh, living near the Philippines. She's got a master's degree in English and Tagalog. Is that how you say their, their language? So she's got very advanced degrees in these languages. And she's most of the time tutoring children for, in various difficult subjects. But quietly on the side, no fanfare, no pay, she's translating a Bible commentary for Patrick and Karen. And they are using her as the, the main translator for this work that they're doing so that they can help people understand the scriptures better. And she's doing it for the Lord. She's not doing it for any. So you probably won't ever hear of Mech in any other place, but there she is working away for the Lord. And it's an example of how we are to be faithful in our work and service for the Lord. So lastly, Luke persevered. He didn't quit, he, he did it. Now he was alone with Paul at the end of his life and I read those verses at the end of Paul's life. I read those verses about how Demas had left because he loved this life more than other things. Now, Demas shares something in common with Luke. Luke is mentioned three times in the, gospel, in the, in the New Testament. Demas is mentioned three times. Exactly the same three passages that Luke has mentioned. So they're kind of a pair. They go together. Until the end passage in 2 Timothy 2 where Demas is gone, but Luke remains. So the, the contrast is obvious that it's tempting for us to be Demas, right? You know, things get tough. There's more to be in life than in, we're the prisoner facing execution. You know, like, let's get going, let's move on, and let's do something better or something I'd rather do. And we all face these temptations. There's lots of things we'd like to do, but there's important work to be done, and we need to do it and not quit. And I think Luke sort of got that. But Demas left. We don't know what happened to Demas. If maybe if he hadn't, I would be talking about Demas today, but I'm talking about Luke, because although we learn from Luke, we also learn from Demas that 
There are things that grow up in our lives, those weeds that can choke us and make us unfruitful, and perhaps that's what happened to Demas. John the Apostle tells us in 1 John that we should not love the world nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And Demas seemed to want to love the world, and he got swayed in that those weeds came up and choked him and made him unfruitful. So what valuable service was left undone because Demas left? We don't know. Something was missing because of that. No, he had an opportunity. We have an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't quit. Paul says uh, that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God and and allow him to use us and to do that. And uh, that is what we need to do. And the writer of the Hebrews says that we are uh, to fix our eyes on Jesus and finish the race and complete it and not to fall away. So these are some of the thoughts I had as I looked at Luke's life and hopefully they've been of help to us uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can present ourselves as an offering to you. We pray that you would take our lives and, and shape them and mold them and make us uh, your servants and valuable to you. Whether others see it or not, you do. And we just pray that in your sight, we would be faithful and persevere in our service for you. Amen.